the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Despite an unprecedented proliferation of sanctions over the last 12 months, high-profile enforcement cases have been notably absent in shipping. But I think that's about to change, and I also think that much of the industry is still woefully unprepared for what is about to follow. Last year was about installing an unparalleled network of sanctions that restricted trade. The remainder of this year is going to be defined by an increasingly aggressive enforcement regime, as Western governments seek to close off the loopholes and make examples of those who have continued to skirt sanctions restrictions. Last week, the US sanctions enforcer, OFAC, fired a warning shot across the bowels of domestic shipping businesses amid reports that they had been involved in Russian oil trades that may or may not have breached the oil price cap. OFAC claimed that US shipping service providers could have been duped by false documentation or spoofing of AIS signals to disguise tanker calls into Russia's eastern ports, including Cosmino. Now, this was significant, not just in terms of the detailed concerns regarding spoofing, but the clear signal that the US government is now fully up to speed on shipping's subterfuge patterns, and they are closely watching every move. Long gone are the days where industry officials could scoff at the ill-informed officials that we knew were there, who, frankly, could not navigate their way through the basics of shipping's operational realities. They just didn't know what was going on. That has fundamentally changed. Now, I mention all this because this week I'm bringing you a selection of expert views on the topic of sanctions that I humbly suggest everybody should listen to pretty carefully because as we put this edition out, the EU is currently considering its 11th package of sanctions against Russia. And you've guessed it, shipping is once again in the firing line, this time with officials apparently looking to target ships that are turning off their AIS. More on that to follow. But the reason I'm flagging these details this week is because the experts that we talk to daily about all of this say the same thing. The shipping industry is still not taking sanctions compliance seriously enough. And too many companies lack the tools or expertise to dig deep enough into deceptive shipping practices in order to satisfy regulatory scrutiny. Now, we're going to come to the OFAC statement shortly, and we're going to hear from them as well. But I want to start this week with a few headlines from the Lloyd's List Risk and Compliance webinar that I hosted last week. If you missed it, fear not. The full recording is available on demand via lloydslist.com. Just go to the homepage, follow the links on the banner on the homepage, you'll find it. I would highly recommend you give it a listen. Because I want to start with some really interesting insights from Daniel Tadros. Now, he's the Chief Operating Officer from the Ship Owners Claims Bureau, which runs the American P&I Club. And he makes the point that I've been warning about for a while now. There is an enforcement campaign coming, and it is likely to expose widespread due diligence shortcomings among shipping companies. So prior to the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine, there were issues with Iran, serious issues with Iran. But I don't think, based on what I have seen and heard in the industry, that really the the shipping world took the compliance side of that seriously now with the russian uh sanctions the shipping industry when i talk about the shipping industry i'm not just speaking about vessel owners operators charters i'm talking about bunker providers i'm talking about suppliers everyone in the chain um has begun to realize that they need to be doing their own compliance and the regulators have been very clear 
that each player in the chain of, of any maritime uh, venture or voyage has a non-delegable duty to conduct their own compliance, okay? And if everyone does that in the chain, then theoretically speaking, you get closer and closer to being able to identify that there might be an issue, a sanctions issue. Um, my biggest concern personally is that I still don't believe that the majority of the shipping world has taken compliance seriously. Um, you know, we've seen examples recently of, of events happening where you would think on the face of it, my God, how could they not know that there was something involved there? And, and I think what's happening is people are, are doing what I will term superficial um, compliance investigations that really don't dig deep. For example, simply looking at OFAC's list of SDNs is no longer adequate. You can't just rely on that going forward. You, you've got to start looking into the UBOs of companies, that, where they're based. I mean, it, it's a very complicated and, and um, intertwined web, uh, if you will, as Claire has described, okay? Um, and so now we're seeing a lot of the tactics that, that we saw with regard to Iran now are translating into the Russian uh, movement of, of the oil. So um, to me, that's, that's the biggest challenge, making the industry understand that compliance is serious and they have to take it seriously. Um, so that's, that's what I would say on that point. Um, but I also would like to address something else. You know, Everyone knows what OFAC is going to do when it comes to enforcement, but we really don't know what some of the other, especially the United Kingdom and the European Union, they really don't have a, a track record of enforcement in the, in the maritime sector. So that creates a lot of uncertainty. Um, and without enforcement from the regulators, I don't know what's going to make uh, the, the maritime players take compliance seriously and that's why i want to talk about enforcement because while enforcement cases targeting shipping breaches of russian sanctions have been pretty limited to date there is now a widespread consensus amongst the compliance and legal experts that i talk to that a crackdown is looming and government agencies could be looking to make an example of some shipping companies in order to send a message OFAC's advisory last week was, as I say, a shot across the bows of the industry. They know exactly what some companies are up to, and they want everybody to know. On Thursday, OFAC's Assistant Director of Sanctions Compliance and Evaluation, Claire McCleskey, spoke on a Capital Link webinar, where she made it very clear that the onus for forensic compliance sits firmly with the industry. Her message to the industry audience was that tick box efforts are not going to be good enough, and relying on vessel tracking services that don't reveal spoofing or deceptive shipping practices, they're not going to offer sufficient protection when they come knocking. In terms of know your customer or your counterparty, we obviously understand that each you know, actor in the chain is only going to have access to certain information and they're only going to be dealing with certain parties. But one of the things that we consistently heard from industry, whether it was P&I uh, clubs or ship owners um, or anyone really, is that people know who they're doing business with, right? And from just a business perspective, in terms of all the risk that people have to take into account when you are just going to do business with someone, right? Um, and so 
if you know your counterparties or you know your customers, then you're going to know what is unusual behavior, or you're going to be on the alert for someone that maybe you're not used to dealing with. And this is someone that you don't know well, you don't have a history with, you know, you know that you need to be a little more careful um, in terms of when they're submitting documentation. On the topic of AIS manipulation, obviously, this is something the industry is incredibly familiar with. This is nothing new, you know, when ships are going dark for a period around a certain high risk area that's you know everyone knows i think that's something to be concerned about specifically in terms of what we are seeing that led to us issuing this alert what we've seen is that sometimes um, there will be a discrepancy between what a very basic vessel tracking service shows and a more sophisticated vessel tracking service or subscription will show. So the very basic, you know, you're talking like a free online vessel tracking will show that a ship was somewhere in the area around Cosmino, for example, but very clearly that they did not go anywhere near Cosmino. And then when you access a more sophisticated, you know, service provider or more sophisticated uh, vessel tracking system, you can see clearly that that ship uh, did in fact call at Cosmino. So if you're providing services to a ship and you find evidence that, hey, something is going on, you know, they appear to be disguising the fact that they are calling at Russian ports. Um, we want people to know that they should see that as evidence of possible evasion of the price gap. They should ask for additional information. You know, you should press for documentation. And if someone refuses to provide that, then that should be, um, you know, taken as possible evasion and ideally you know, reported to OFAC. Now, of course, regular listeners will be well aware there is a commercial punchline to all of this. Lawyersless Intelligence is in the business of helping companies mitigate compliance risk. Of course, if you're interested in finding out more, follow the link in the podcast description or head to lawyerslistintelligence.com for detail. But, as OFAT themselves point out, this is not about promoting one service or another. This is about being able to trust the information you are basing your decisions on. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're <laughs> agnostic on the OFAC side about service providers, but these, you know, there is a wealth of information available via these tools and sort of the same way that um, there's all kinds of due diligence and enhanced due diligence tools on the banking side that financial institutions use when you're talking about higher risk activity. You know, these kinds of um, intelligence services do provide additional information. And in this case, we have, you know, very clear examples of, okay, this is showing you one thing that appears to be more accurate than what you're going to get with, you know, very basic information. Now, just before we move on to the question of what due diligence is actually required from the shipping industry and this coming enforcement campaign I keep talking about, I think it's probably important that we set out what we mean when we talk about the dark fleet, because we're not talking about a single type of activity. There are shades of grey in that dark fleet, shifty shades of grey as the Lloyd's List Lee story over the weekend headlined it. So here's Lloyd's List's very own Queen of the Dark Fleet, our market citizen, Michelle VZ Bachman, who was speaking on the Lloyd's List webinar about that very topic. Well, first of all, I should really define what our methodology is for the Dark Fleet. And that's um, a ship that is aged 15 years or older, which means that it's um, usually not going to be chartered by you know, a, a large oil ma major. It is solely deployed in either Venezuelan, Russian, or Iranian trades. It is anonymously owned. We cannot trace the beneficial odor. And that's usually accompanied by some very Byzantine and corporate structures to 
avoid discovery of beneficial owner. And it's also engaged in one or some of a range of deceptive shipping practices that were outlined by the Department of State and the US government in some guidelines that were handed down in May 2020. And that can include ship to ship transfers in, in high risk areas, flag hopping, frequent changing of registers, flag registries, vessel spoofing to fraudulent and false flagging. So a number of those activities. So using that methodology and criteria, we've identified 456 tankers, which is equivalent to about 10% of the existing internationally trading fleet, that many. And that number has more than doubled in the last 18 months, reflecting, of course, the introduction of, of Russia to the sanctions mix. We have about a third, when measured by dead weight, uh, regist have registered owners as the Marshall Islands, even though only 3% of the, of the dark fleet are flagged there. 28% are linked to either Hong Kong or Chinese brass plate single ship anonymous structures for their ISM or uh, technical management. And we also have a predominance of BL's very large crude carriers, the largest tankers, and Aframax is engaged in this fleet. There are shades of grey. Um, some have Western insurance coverage, and some don't, but they still fit some of that criteria. But this has all evolved in response to Western sanctions, first on Iran four years ago and Venezuela, and now in Russia, fully implemented as of February 5. And effectively, what this means for marine service providers is that insurers, bankers, flag registries, they, they're effectively now being asked to police these sanctions imposed by Western governments. Now, even with the best of intentions and with all the equipment in the world, these entities are not able to track these ships for 24 hours of the day. And this is, this is really why there is a, a, a know your customer conundrum faced by, by many um, companies that want to do the right thing. And then of course, when we talk about sanctions circumvention, there are many others on the other side that also want to know how not to fall on the, on, on the right side of things. And the other important point to include here is that while the focus is currently on Russia, you have to look at these deceptive shipping practices in the context of how the Dark Fleet has evolved. Claire Jungman is the Chief of Staff at United Against Nuclear Iran, Iwani, you and me, and her analysis of the evolution of sanctions evasion has effectively written the book on subterfuge activity in shipping. You know, along with this increase in the ghost fleet, we've seen a number of deceptive tactics bad actors are using uh, to evade sanctions also change rapidly and increase as well. Um, specifically, when looking at Iran, the vessels violating this, these, uh, these oil sanctions are almost always engaged in some type of spoofing activity. Um, I would say approximately 90% approximately of the vessels coming out of Iran are spoofing their AIS devices which is a huge risk to the industry. You know, you can't know for sure where the vessel is actually, actually is anymore um, by just looking at the AIS. Um, a lot of different organizations have started incorporating satellite imagery as a way to track their vessels. Um, but as Michelle touched on, you know, it's impossible to know 24, to watch these vessels 24 hours. Um, and, you know, spoofing is not just a tactic we're seeing Iran use. Venezuela has picked up on this as well and we've seen Russia start using this similarly. Um, so then just to circle back, you know, it's not just, um, if, if the industry can't just police Iran and help crack down on the vessels violating Iranian sanctions, 
how can we expect them to do the same for Russia, Venezuela, um, or even North Korea? Um, some of the other tactics we see frequently used include, you know, forged bills of lading, blending of oil, flag hopping, ship-to-ship -ship transfers, um, and, you know, these are all different tactics that the industry needs to look at as a whole um, as, as potential risks. And, you know, not just, don't just look at where the vessel has been over the last week. What other things has the vessel been up to? Um, is the vessel in the Middle East? Do you know for sure if the, in, in the vessel, where the vessel loaded in the Middle East? Has the vessel changed flags three times over the last year? If so, that should be a clue. Maybe it's been some, up to something rogue. Um, different things like this are, are uh, areas that the industry needs to be looking at closely. So why does all this matter, I hear you ask? Well, if you listened into the webinar, you would have heard that the experts are repeating what we've been worried about for a while. The industry is nowhere near ready for a regulatory investigation intent on making examples of shipping businesses that are failing to apply the required due diligence. Here at Lloyd's List, we have it on pretty good authority that a disruption of the Dark Fleet's opaque operations is now seen as a priority by some pretty well-placed officials within the US government, so the industry needs to prepare for enforcement actions. As Danske Bank's Global Head of Sanctions and Compliance, Amelie Corning-Wedge, pointed out on the webinar, shipping companies should be aware that the unprecedented influx of sanctions over the past 12 months is at some point going to come with an enforcement campaign. Yeah, so, you know, I actually think that we are just at the beginning of starting to see that enforcement trend, very similar to, to Dan's view here, where we can expect both the U.S. but also the European competent authorities to really uh, go after this from an enforcement perspective. And there are sort of two reasons for that. The one is, of course, that we wish to combat evasion. Uh, because we, if we can combat evasion, then uh, you will ultimately be sending a signal to the sanctioned parties that... The sanctions don't really matter because they're so easy to circumvent and there's not going to be any consequences if you do and you're found out. So there's a very strong incentives to try to enforce in a much stricter capacity. The other point is, if we look at the Russian economy from a high level perspective, at the end of the day, there's not that much left to sanction. Uh, yes, there are different energy payments. There are some categories of payments that you could still go after. But the Russian economy is pretty much locked down now. So if you really want to put more pressure on the Russians, it is through enforcement that you're likely to get the most bang for your gut buck from an enforcement perspective. And what we've seen, in the, at least in some uh, EU member state, including, for example, uh, Denmark, uh, as well as uh, the Netherlands, is that the competent authorities have started an investigation across a number of different metrics. They are subpoenaing companies, they're going out to ask a lot of questions. And there's no doubt from my perspective that some of those uh, preliminary activities will ultimately lead to enforcement. Now, it's a very long way from an inquiry to an actual enforcement, especially in an untried and untested regulator. But this is what uh, what I interpret to be the, the direction of travel from our EU competent authorities. Of course, the the question is going to be how much of that is going to be in the maritime space? How much is that of that is going to be enforcement of circumvention of the Russian price cap? And we just don't know that yet. We just don't know if there's sort of enough meat on those cases from the perspective of the regulators. So what does sufficient due diligence look like then? And how far do companies really have to go? 
According to Dan Tadros, it's not just a question of ticking the boxes. So due diligence for me is it has a, a number of, of factors and steps. Okay. So first of all, you've got to look at every player that is involved in a shipment. Okay. You've got to look at the shipper, the supplier, the receiver, uh, the port where you're you're loading the cargo, where are you going to be discharging? If it's an STS operation, you've got to look into the beneficial ownership and the origin of cargo of the vessel that's going to be doing the STS with your vessel. Um, and in addition to that, you, there, there are numerous platforms out there. Um, they are expensive, but they are out there. And the problem though, Richard, is that there's a very small pool of uh, whether you want to call it lawyers or experts on, on sanctions and compliance, people who can sift through and be able to determine what is truly a risky operation and what maybe be um, not so risky. And so that makes it very challenging for, for owners, operators, charters, um, You've got to look at all these factors and you've got to rely on on different companies, including your P&I clubs, your Hull Insurance, your flag, who can provide some guidance on that. But at the end of the day, and, and you're going to hear me say this repeatedly, um, every player has it, a non-delegable duty to do its compliance, because if OFAC comes knocking at your door, you're going to have to show that you did do some compliance. There has to be a reasonable basis for you undertaking a voyage. So that that's what I would say. Amelie from Danske Bank also thinks that the complexities are already making some companies just walk away from business rather than risk not having picked up on something that ultimately might later land them in legal hot water. Yes, absolutely. And and Following on from the, the what was mentioned before here, we have a real complexity when it comes to sanction-specific due diligence or, you know, the type of due diligence that you will do specifically for sanctions reasons because it's fundamentally different from a lot, a lot of other types of due diligence that you can do. And one of the hard lessons that a number of banks have, have really learned in this area is that you can literally sink infinite, 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 sorry, that's a hard word, uh, infinite resources into sanctions compliance. Because if you're trying to satisfy the bar of, am I really doing something that benefits a sanctioned party? Am I really doing something that could be non-transparent? Am I really meeting the bar? That's a very hard question to really answer and it's also one of the questions that leads a lot of actors to simply decide at one point in time i cannot find a way to make my due diligence on this activity sufficiently cost effective to actually continue the activity and unfortunately that is one of the again the hard lessons that the bank has really learned that there are just some activities where you're never going to satisfy the due diligence angle Therefore, you better better not carry out the activity. Now, that's of course not the, what the regulators want, especially when it comes to the price cap, where one of the intentions is that we want to keep Russian oil flowing, albeit to at a at a lower at a lower cost than it was before the price cap. However, I think that there's a reality that some uh, actors in the industry are simply reaching the conclusion that they cannot do this safely. 
not least because sanctions expertise is hard to come by. Sanctions expertise is expensive. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of supply in the market right now. And also, if you're really dealing with a jurisdictional issue, such as trying to figure out what do I do from an EU, US versus UK perspective, it gets even more complicated. And you may conclude down the down the line that it's just not worth the business activity that you're trying to pursue, unfortunately. The lessons for ship owners here are obvious. Now that government agencies know exactly who is doing what, not knowing that your customer's customer has loaded sanctions crude is relegated to the dog-ate-my-homework layer of unacceptable excuses. Amelie and her peers at Danske Bank take this very seriously for a very good reason. Banks have built up an industrial-scale operation just to digest all of these regulatory changes, with compliance costs now representing in the region of about 15% of a bank's total annual spend in some cases. But that tooling up, that was not born out of foresight. Rather, it was necessitated by a series of eye-wateringly expensive enforcement fines meted out by the regulators of over a decade ago. For the banks, with entire compliance teams at their disposal, such forensic approaches to compliance risk is now a basic business requirement. For the vast majority of the shipping industry racing to catch up, the rapid onslaught of Russian restrictions has proved to be, well, a little bit more problematic. Regardless of whether the shipping industry is ready, enforcement is about to come knocking. For those not yet ready, now would be a very, very good time to start re-examining the robustness of your compliance protocols. We're going to end it there for this week, but if you would like to listen to the full version of the Lloyd's List webinar, you can listen on demand via the links on lloydslist.com. And please do check out lloydslistintelligence.com for details of our advanced risk and compliance packages. For now, though, a huge thank you to all the speakers you heard speak on this week's edition of the podcast. Thank you also to Capital Link for giving us access to their webinar. I'd highly recommend you go and find the full version of their webinar available on YouTube. And thank you for listening. Have a good week, everyone.